0: One of the best ways to keep up with church life is through the City Life app. The City Life app enables you to listen to messages from Sunday, explore the Bible while listening to messages, stay up to date with church life through our Connect section, and much more. Download the City Life app in the App Store or Google Play Store today. Welcome to the City Life Podcast. We're all about making Jesus known. We pray these messages will help equip you to become a follower of Jesus who is empowered to influence and shape culture. Enjoy the message. Well, I'm going to preach, and and I'm excited about the title of this message. And here it is. I'm going to preach using as a subject the encouragement that you've never heard. The encouragement that you've never heard. And I believe that God has something directly for you. That's going to build you. And it's going to change somebody's life today because ultimately I'm not preaching what I think is going to change your life. I'm preaching from what's changed my life. And through this message uh, that God's revealed to me years and years ago, I'm just preaching as a broken man about a perfect God. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace, your unearned, undeserved, unmerited favor. God, we realize, and we acknowledge Without you, we are nothing. But since we are not without you, we have everything that we need in this life. So we open ourselves up, and we expect you to do what only you can do, touch our hearts, change our lives. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, and everybody said, amen, amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. Let me ask you a question. Happy birthday, Jordan. 30. Ow. Yes. Jesus started his ministry in his 30s, and he, three years, Jordan, unfortunately, three years to go. At least he had a good run, so. Does anybody enjoy, just by show of hands, enjoy being clean? All right, keep your hands up, and the person next to you, obviously, if they don't like being clean, they like being Scandalous. Oh, that, I know, that's kind of edgy to say. But um, I enjoy being clean quite significantly. And, and there are a few specific things Ooh, setting the tone <laughs> for what is going to happen next. And I'm in the spotlight. Fantastic. There are three specific things that I do not like on my body. Number one is food. Number two is glitter. I don't Oh, sometimes in church you hug people and then you go look in the mirror and you have glitter in your cheek. Ah, like I don't want glitter on my body. I don't want to touch glitter. Like I like to look at it, and when girls like to pretend they're pixies. Ah, you know. But I don't want it on me. Then the third, which is of primary importance and significance for my life, and ever since I was, ever since I can remember, I do not like this on my body, and it is lipstick. Oh, now I want to tell you a story. At the age of four, I was. Hey, look at me! That is little Preston Woody at age four, and I was in. I was. I played little Jesus in the Trinity Church Passion Play, and that was my um, outfit. And I had just had my acting debut that day, and I was fantastic. and And I want to give you a picture. This is me at four, and also at four. A few months later, I went. And I was so excited. Anticipation had been building for at least six months to Disney World. Oh, any Disney fans in the house? Fantastic. Disney World. And I was pumped. I was motivated. I was excited. In fact, I was going with Mom, Auntie Vaughn, and Cousin Isabella, and I was ready for Disney. And specifically in Disney, one of my favorite movies is Toy Story. Toy Story fans. Yes, my name is Preston Woody, and my favorite character is... So good! I love Woody, but I was primarily excited about going at Disney to Pizza Planet. I had been thinking and imagining what Pizza Planet might be at Disney for months. I mean, this was my sole focus. This is why I did acting, just just to prepare myself for Pizza Planet. So there we are, walking into Disney, the Magic Kingdom... And lunchtime comes around, and I find out, I catch wind, my little four-year-old self, that we're going to lunch at Cinderella's Castle. Okay. So I said, Mom, but... I thought we were going to go to Pizza Planet. She goes, But, but we've got to accommodate uh, um, Auntie Vaughn and Isabella, and they want to go to the princess, and we've got to go to the princess. I'm like, Okay, Mom, but I just want Pizza Planet, okay? Mama? And so there we go. We're walking up to Cinderella's castle to have lunch inside. To you, that may seem cool, but to me, it, it wasn't because of what happens next. As we're walking up to have lunch in Cinderella's freaking castle, I see little boys begin to walk out about my age. And they began to walk out of Cinderella's castle with a lip imprint of lipstick on their cheek. And I'm thinking, there's boys walking in there with nothing. They're coming out with lips. Mom, I'm not going in there. Do I have to go in? She says, yes. I said, but, Mom, promise me one thing, Mama, that I'm not going to get kissed by a princess promise me, she said, I promise, we won't let any princesses kiss you, I said, I don't want kisses from you, mom, you're my only kisser, so, so I walk, we walk into Cinderella's castle, and and we end, and begin having lunch, and enjoy our overpriced chicken strips, and, and we're sitting there, and all of a sudden, the princesses begin to file, and they come in, and They're coming with their dresses and bubbly personalities, and my cousins are excited about the princesses, and and I'm just kind of like sitting down, keeping my head down, and all of a sudden, Auntie Vaughn says, oh my gosh, we all need a picture with the princesses. And I said, great, go. And and, no, 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 you too, So, so we pull Pulled me, pulled me aside, and and all of a sudden the princesses gather around. I, I mean, I remember. I'm four years. I was four years old at the time. This has scarred me. And I remember it was Cinderella and Snow White. Snow White. Okay. So there I am with Cinderella, Snow White, Isabella, and Cousin Marcella. We're 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 standing there, and the and the picture is about to snap. My heart's pulsating because I don't I don't want to be touched. I don't want glitter. I don't want lipstick. And as the picture is snapped. I feel something on my cheek. And all of a sudden, anger, resentment pulsated through my veins. And Cinderella kissed me on the cheek. Mom was a liar! See, that was me playing Jesus as a four-year-old. Now I know how Jesus felt. Betrayed with a kiss! That's how Christ-like I am as your pastor. Disney wasn't everything I thought it would be. I didn't get Pizza Planet like I thought it would. I didn't even have a good time the rest of the Disney experience because I was so obsessed with getting the stupid lipstick off of my face. Even though it was already off, I still felt like it was on my face for three weeks So Disney wasn't everything I thought it would be. It wasn't an enjoyable experience like I expected it would. Now that's funny when we're talking about Disney, but when we're talking about expectations in your life, that's not really something to laugh at. When you had an expectation for somebody to come through and they don't, that's not really something to laugh at. When you expected to live a certain amount of years and all of a sudden you were unexpectedly hit with health issues that weren't necessarily your cause, that's not something to laugh at. What do we do in the gap between what we expect and what we experience? Proverbs 13, 12 says this, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. Let's break that down. Uh, Solomon wrote this proverb, who was one of the wisest individuals who ever lived. And he was in the prime when he was writing this, but he also knew, uh, but he also didn't know he would be going into a season of depression. Solomon knows a little bit about depression. He says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. In other words, hope deferred, meaning when what you expect is put off. And when what you expect is put off again. And what you, you expect and you hope for is put off Again, and it makes the heart sick. Next part. What happens when you have a sick heart? A soul, Your soul is part of your heart. Your soul is made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions. And when your heart is sick, you don't really live from your heart, do you? All of a sudden, you begin delegating to your head, and you get stuck in your head. Ultimately, it, when you get stuck in your head, you're already dead. You can't even be yourself anymore. You can't, even make, um, you can't even emotionally connect with people because you're so logically based. All of a sudden, you have no expectation for a good thing because you're all of a sudden making head, fear-based decisions that sabotage your relationships and your life. You get in your head and you're dead, and I wonder who here has been living for too long in your head. But you know why? It's because you have a sick heart. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. So what do we do with the sick heart? What's the answer? If you have your Bibles, go with me to Matthew chapter 11 verse one, and I want to share with you about someone who finds himself in a similar place. And I want to talk to you about one of my favorite individuals in Scripture, and his name is John the Baptist. John the Baptist. Now, the Baptist wasn't his denomination. He was known as John the Baptizer. And we call him John the Baptist in, in Scripture. And, and John was the first to begin to baptize individuals in, in water. So John the Baptist, give him a little uh, context. He is actually the cousin of Jesus. and Born about six months or so earlier. And John's whole purpose in life is to prepare the way and to get things going for the arrival of Jesus and his ministry. So we find John the Baptist in a very turbulent time in, in, uh, in Israel, where we are, because the Romans have taken up occupancy in the land, and there is political tension out the roof between the Jews and the Romans, and ultimately between the Jews themselves. And people are desperate for hope. And John the Baptist comes preaching this message of hope. And it's interesting why people would go to see John the Baptist, because he had an interesting uh, attire. He would wear, Scripture says, uh, his attire was made up of camel's hair and a leather belt. And his diet was steady with locusts and wild honey. But what's fascinating is individuals, towns, would literally empty out just to come here what John the Baptist had to say to hear him preach. And at the height of his ministry, when there were more people with him than there had ever been in his entire life, John finds himself in prison. Huh. John finds himself in prison for some statements that were taken as politically incorrect. But John, who had lived his life for good, he finds himself in prison, not because of something he did wrong, but because of something he did right. Which is to say, just because someone's in a bad place doesn't make them a bad person, okay? So John's in prison, and he sends his disciples to ask Jesus this question. John's in a state of desperation. And he asks something that's kind of illogical. And go with me to Matthew chapter 11, verse 1, and, and we, we'll start there. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah. So John's in prison. He's hearing about what's going on outside of prison. He sent his disciples, which is his team, to ask him, to ask Jesus, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? John's asking. Ask Jesus, are you the one? Or are we waiting for someone else? In other words, John is saying, is this it for my life? Is this what I worked for all this time? Because I served and I preached and I gave everything up for this cause, this mission. And I'm here in prison, and I expected to be out there with you. In fact, I'm here on death row. So is it you, the problem, or is the problem me? And if you've ever been in a place where you're stuck paying medical bills while while everybody else seems healthy if you feel constantly and consistently emotionally unstable when everyone else seems to have it together, then you know what it feels like to say, God, I love you. and God, I trust you. But is this it for my life? Is this how it's going to be? Is this how it's supposed to be? Because let me know. If this is how it's supposed to be, I would just like to know that so at least I could have some closure because it hurts to hope. I don't want to get my hopes up again just to live with a sick heart. Jesus replies, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. There's a whole crowd of people here. The lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. We'll look at that here in a moment, but I'll, before we go into this next passage, take, uh, pay close attention. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. And Jesus is now addressing the crowd about John. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. No. Not John. Those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. That's a little family jab, because obviously John didn't have very cool attire. Then what did you go out into the wilderness to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is about whom it is written. I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. And this is what Jesus says, and this is so significant, so important. Realize, understand that this is the Messiah, Christ, the son of the living God, talking about another man by saying this. Truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Among those born of women, people, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Now, how many of you have been born of a woman? I fa- fa- yeah, show of hands, yes. And if your hand's not raised and the person next to you's hand not raised, congratulations, you're sitting next to a robot. <laughs> Essentially, everyone's born of women. So, in other words, Jesus is saying about John, John is the greatest man who's ever lived. Jesus. And can you imagine what John might have felt by hearing that affirmation from Jesus? Can you imagine what what he thought? Can you imagine the value it brought to all his life and everything he had invested in, receiving that affirmation for all the work that he had done? I can probably imagine how it gave him peace in that little prison cell. Gave him closure for his life. But what's interesting is, is John never hears a word of it. No, he doesn't. Scripture says, as the disciples, John's disciples were leaving, then Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. One translation says, after John's disciples had already left, then Jesus talked about John. Hmm. What's the point of that? So all that John heard was not how good he was doing, but rather all the good things that Jesus was doing. So what was Jesus' problem? Why couldn't he just say those good things about John? I'm sure it would have made him feel, feel better, would have given him a sense of peace, would have encouraged him. But why? Did Jesus have an emotional block? Could, did, was he not secure enough in himself to share ap- affirmation openly? I don't think so. I mean, he's the Messiah, the Son of God. Then what was it? And I believe... This is the key to this entire passage. Jesus didn't want John to put his faith in John. Jesus wanted John to put his faith in Jesus. Jesus wanted John's focus not to be in what he could work out, but rather what Jesus is working out through his ministry. And it's as if Jesus is whispering to John saying, John, (laughs) John, I know you're there. I don't want you to think that I love you because of what you can do for me. I want you to know that I love you because of who I am. It's never been about you. And there have been times in my life, and I know that there are times in your life where you desperately needed to hear that you mattered, that you're doing a good job. And I believe that through the scripture, what we're, what we're hearing, this context, I have three words of encouragement for you. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach them real quick. Um, if you have notes, write them down so you can Instagram them to all your dysfunctional friends. And then I'm going to cl- close out, and we're going to sing one more time before we go. But this is, message is called The Encouragement That You Never Heard. Here it is. Number one, this is for you personally. You're doing better than you think you are. You're doing better than you think you are. How do I know you're doing better than you think you are? You're here. You're here. Or you're listening online. (laughs) Somebody else is at home watching Netflix because they're hungover. At least you're here and hungover, if you're hungover. You're doing better than you think you are. (laughs) You're doing better than you think you are. You know what it feels like when someone's always like criticizing you and pointing out all the crap about you, and it just kind of makes you resentful and makes you not want to be around that person. Like, ultimately, like, you get what you point out, so if you point out constantly the crap in people, what are you going to get? Some people whispered, can we say crap in church? (laughs) If you keep pointing out the crap, what are you going to get in people? Crap! But what would happen if instead of constantly criticizing people to death, we started pointing out the little good that's happening? You know what? You're doing better than you think you are. You're doing better than you think you are. I don't know what it is specifically for you, but that's God's word for you. You're doing better than you think you are. You're doing better better than you think you are. A A couple weeks ago, I was contacted by a friend of mine, and he was just distraught. He he uh he was calling me saying he's coming into town he said he needed to talk to me and this individual uh was actually saved in our church many years ago at the very beginning and 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 uh he God delivered his life essentially from 15 years of addiction to meth and and he uh, he he ended up getting married and he now has a a child and and his his life has turned around essentially and so he he's coming down here and he's he's calling me st- just insisting that he needs to meet up and to meet up with him and and after about 5 minutes of small talk he he looks at me and he tells me I need to tell you something i said what is it and he says you know how 2 years ago you know we we sat down and we wrote out, I wrote out resolve for my life that I was never going to use again. He said, well, just, just last week I used. And uh, I relapsed. And, I, and I'm feeling like I just need to withdraw from everything, my job, my work, my, my family. In fact, when I, when I used once, I, I felt like I was just too far gone, so I, I did it again. And he said, I don't, I don't know what to do. And I said, after two years... You relapsed. He says, Yes. You know what I did? I smiled and I gave him the biggest high five he's ever had. And he said, Why are you high fiving me for doing drugs? I was like, Yeah, I am high fiving you for doing drugs because you were lost for 15 years. And you spent two years sober. You are doing, doing so much better than you think you are. And he high-fived me again. He goes, yeah, you know what? I am. I did do drugs. And I am doing better than I think I am. He said, this time I went two years. Maybe next time I can do four years. I said, that's, that's right. That's right. People are telling you that you're a failure, that you're an addict. No, 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 no. You are saved by the grace of God. You are doing better than you think you are. Touch two people and tell them you're doing better than you think you are. Come on, I see. I'm watching you. (laughs) Number two. You matter more than you think you do. You matter more than you think you do. How? Why? (laughs) You can determine the worth of something by the price that was paid by someone who knows the true value of it. And Christ Jesus bought you with his precious blood. So don't you say that you don't matter. You matter so much more than you could ever know. You have no idea the future that's been laid out for you. You have no idea what's at stake in your life. You have no idea how that one friendship is holding someone's life together. You have no idea how that one smile could have saved someone's life. You matter so much more than you think you do. Oftentimes our behaviors are a result of what we believe about ourselves. And if you believe that you don't matter, (laughs) there's no wonder that you abuse yourself. If you believe that you don't really matter, there's no wonder that you don't make time for yourself. If you truly believe that you don't matter, it's no wonder that you constantly and consistently criticize yourself. You matter so much more than you could ever know. Now, about four years ago, I was preaching this passage, which is one of my favorite passages. This is, this is like a, a life message for me. And there's a man in our church by the name of Rick Brewer. And Rick was very helpful to us as we were starting this church and didn't have any income and there was no money and he would help us um, when our cars would break down and we would take our cars to his house and he would work on them. It would take like two weeks to get them back but we got our cars back for Rick and, and Rick, uh, he was in church every single Sunday and one day I was, I was preaching this I and was, I was saying you matter so much more than you think you do and I just had passion and conviction with it. And Right after the service, standing right over here and he walked up to me with tears in his eyes and he said why did you look at me when i when you said that i said what i mean i didn't i didn't really realize said what and he says i have been wondering for the last decade if my life had any significance and i have been desperately craving to know that i mattered And he said, you looked me straight in the eye and you told me the word that I had been desperately needing. You matter more than you think you do. He gave me a hug and he left. And that was the last time that I ever saw Rick. That next week he went to be with Jesus. He Left knowing that his life mattered. I'm here to tell somebody today, you matter so much more than you can ever know. Number three, um, before I share this last point, you know, I'm telling you, you're doing better than you think you are. You matter more than you think you do and you're getting all pumped up. And then uh, if you like take this message the wrong way, then you'll go into work uh, tomorrow, and you'll be like, I need a raise, boss, because I'm better than you think I am. I'm like, that's not the point. But, but without this last piece, this message will be unbalanced. And this is ultimately the key to this whole passage in the middle of your, un, your, unexpe- your uh, unmet expectations, in the middle of your sick heart. Here it is, number three. It's less about you than you think it is. Whatever it is right now, it's a whole lot less about you than you think it is. The reason that you're dealing with unfulfillment, you made it about you. The reason you're unhappy, you're making it about you. Relationships, your marriage, the moment it becomes about you, what happens? It begins to deteriorate. Church, the moment you make it about you, what happens? All of a sudden, it's so great, then all you can see is everything that's wrong. This is less about you than you think it is. But there's this comfort. There is this peace that you live with when you realize your life is not about you. You know what happens when you wake up every single day? And you can just say, today is less about me than I think it is. All of a sudden, for whatever reason, you just become a little bit more magnetic to people. When you live each day as if it's not about you, people just kind of want to be around you. They just kind of want to know what you have. It's a little bit easier to be happy when it's not about you. It's not about, when it's not about you, your expectations are not easily unmet because your focus is to give. What would happen if we lived like that? What would happen if we woke up every single day with maybe a reminder that popped up on our phone saying, today is less about you than you think it is? Wouldn't you get pissed off? So much less. Today is less about you than you think it is. I would get irritated so much less. When I, get cu- when I would get cut off on the road, I would probably not even notice. Ha ha, they're probably having a bad day, but it's not about me. Love you, God bless. And give them the finger, like this way, you know? <laughs> when life's not about you, that's when you can actually begin to live. I heard this story as I close. Will you stand with me? I heard this story, and I love this story. I heard it just this last week. It was told... I heard about this man who was walking along the beach. He's an older gentleman in his 60s. And, and across the beach, there were thousands, and he describes tens of thousands of starfish that had washed up. And this is a morning walk. And, and he looks, and he sees this young little chap, this kid. And he's going over to these starfish. And he's grabbing the starfish, and and he's flinging them back into the water. And so the older guy, he's curious, and he walks up to the little boy, and, and he says, what are you doing? And he says, well, I'm, I'm saving these starfish. And the old man says, Well, you know, there's about 10,000 of these starfish and only one of you. What difference can you possibly make? And without looking back up at him, the kid picked up a starfish, tossed it into the ocean, and he said, I made a difference for that one. And then he went again, again. That's the kind of life that I want to live. I may not be able to make a difference for everyone, but I can make a difference for one. I can live my life as if it's not about me. I can go out in the hot sun and make a difference for somebody. That's where true fulfillment is. That's where I live. But here's the thing, and I realized this. Oh, that's so encouraging and inspiring. But then I thought about it this morning, and it's as if God spoke to me, and he said, yeah, you're gonna go save all those starfish, but Preston, here's the deal. You're the starfish. You were dead in your sins. You you had nothing that you could do. I mean, like, I'm getting emotional, but, like, I'm the starfish. It's me. I was dead in my sins. There was nothing that I could do, nothing that I could work out. But Jesus came along, and he picked me up, and he took me where I could never go on my own. Jesus. Jesus. My hope is not in my ability. My hope is not in my performance. My hope is not in what I can work out. No, my hope is in a person. And his name is Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. Come on, church, sing it out. Thank you for listening to this week's message from City Life Church. You can keep in touch with what is coming this season through social media and our City Life app. And Sunday, our favorite day of the week is on its way. We hope to see you at City Life.